Hi, everybody. I'm Jason. This is my podcast, Filmography Club. Welcome to it. Look, I talk about movies with my guests on this podcast. That's the whole point. Sometimes my guests are movie experts who I'm just meeting for the first time. Sometimes they're friends of mine who may not be movie experts, but they're bright enough to articulate themselves about their favorite movie. And sometimes my guest is both a friend and an expert, and that's Maggie Lyon. Maggie and I go back a long time. We met and hit it off in the late 90s, and then life stuff happened like it always does, and we haven't lived in the same state in maybe 20 years. Uh, we've managed to stay in touch here and there, offering congratulations and condolences when appropriate. After earning her undergrad at Millsaps, she attended New York University. That's where she earned her graduate degree in cinema studies. It's been a while since we had a chance to talk, so it was nice to have a drink and talk about this fascinating movie with her. There's a lot to talk about with this movie, so I won't describe it here. We get into that pretty quickly, but it is a French musical from the 60s. I'll say that. So if you want to hear two old friends wrap their Mississippi accents around frilly French words while having afternoon cocktails, this episode is for you. So here it is, my talk with Maggie Lyon about Jacques Demy's third feature-length film, 1964's musical romantic drama, The Umbrellas of Sherbrooke. Non, tu es très jolie comme ça. And I'm joined by Maggie Lyon. Maggie, thanks for coming on. Hello. It's uh, great to have you on here. I've been wanting to get you on here for a minute. Today, we're talking about one of your favorite movies. You have a spiel, right? You have a thing about this. We're talking about, I'm going to fuck the name up. Is it Shoreberg? Cher- Cherbourg? <laughs> um, Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Um, like, if you said you. it in French, Les Pères Pluies de Cherbourg. But, um, you know, I'm still from Mississippi. And when I learned French in junior high and high school, it was from someone who was from Mississippi. So <laughs> um, <laughs> right. I, have a, I, have a, I have a child in French immersion who corrects me all the time about how terribly I pronounce things in French. So I would just not feel too concerned about it at all. But um, but yeah, this is one of my favorite movies. And I would definitely say that you know, sorry, Will Fox, that I didn't pick Mad Max before you, you know, (laughs) it's a fun one. Fury Road is fun. Um, I have a lot of things that, that I also love. Like if you, if you asked me what my favorite horror movie is, like probably Martyrs. If you asked me, um, uh, what my favorite movie from the 2000s is, I would probably say Requiem for a Dream. You know, it's just, it's like, but if you asked what my favorite movie is, it's probably Umbrellas. Yeah, I just love it. I can't, I can't help it. I'm drawn back to it every time. It's great. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard of it when you texted me the name of the movie. I had to <laughs> Google it. And then after just digging around a little bit, I realized, oh, this is not some obscure movie that she just picked. This is, a very highly acclaimed film and (laughs) there was a little trepidation on my part. I must admit I'm not a musicals guy. I don't love musicals. I find that they kind of pull me out of the narrative. They're they're not why I go to the movies or or went to the movies, but uh, this one was different. And that's not to say that all of them are garbage, by the way, I haven't seen a musical excluding this one probably since Greece aired on cable television or, or network television in 1986, and I don't even remember that one, really. So this was 
new for me. And I just said, you know what, just, just watch the thing. You might enjoy it. And Maggie, I enjoyed it. It was. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely its own thing. And, and that's kind of the whole, the whole point of why I, I love it and why I think it's so good. And, but, you know, by the way, thank you for having me on. This is my first podcast, by the way. Is that right? Ever. Okay. Yeah. Great. I've never been on a podcast. It's something that we need to unpack right at the beginning. This is not a dramatic or comedic story where people break into song and dance here and there. And I thought that's what I was getting into. Nope. This whole thing, all 91 minutes are, are sung. Even the most mundane, hey, can you hand me my keys kind of dialogue is sung. But Pass the salt. It's yeah. totally immersive. And uh, yep. I liked it. I, I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> it's it's um, the complete immersion thing is like what I try to explain to my kids about willing suspension of disbelief. Like you talk about it all the time, like with any sort of fiction, like you have to talk about willing suspension of disbelief. And, and it's this thing that you assume that people understand but then when you go this far with it it's like you've taken it to the the maximum like you've turned it up to 11 right i feel like the cool thing about this is that you really pushed the whole form into what it can possibly be right so in i feel like did did you watch the um the criterion um stuff that you were talking about. Yeah, like I watched the, all the, the supplements. I started all listening. of them. <laughs> I did. It, I watched, it, it, it I watched wasn't a couple. Much. Yeah. I, I didn't listen to the <laughs> audio interviews. I got about halfway through the first mm-hmm. one and said, uh, I'm good. So we ended up watching we watched the the documentary about the film and the interview of like the with Legrand and Demi, which was like the the Frenchest thing I've ever seen. It's like, you know, like, oh, they're going to cut back to like Legrand, like playing the piano for <laughs> all this time. And then they just harass the crap out of them. Like they just like really just like bomb them with like these terrible questions. Like, do you really think that it's worthwhile to make music for a, for a film instead of being like Mozart? Right. <laughs> like, right. What? Would Bach and Mozart be doing this if yeah. they were alive? Yeah. Today? Just, it's like, do you think that your work is worth worthwhile? Like, I mean, it was like, Whoa, dude. I mean, but all of his responses were really great. But anyway, that's um, a little off topic from this, but, but anyway, um, when they were talking about all of that stuff, it's like, the form of the whole thing is so cool because from the beginning, nobody had done that. Like nobody had done it. And still like, even when people have tried to do it since then, nobody's really done the same thing. Like it's, it's singular. Like this movie is one thing that nobody else has done. And you know, for what else you have to say about it, like whether you have problems with it or not, like, I don't know, like, I think it's really intensely creative and just amazing, like what they've done with forming content um, on this. And that's kind of my whole interest in film generally, like, you know, like I was a literature person, and then got interested in film because I was like, okay, well, film is another form of literature, basically, like, you're just taking this and giving it another dimension. What I loved about literature is what writers do with foreign content. And so what I love about 
film is what that can be in 3D, basically. And just the colors and the things that they do with the just mood and feeling in this movie is just so amazing. And it just, it, it makes me excited to watch it every time. Also, I just feel like there's so much to see every time you watch it. Like there's something new every time you see it. <laughs> so the, the colors in this movie are big. They're bold, vibrant, uh, lots of, uh, you know, something I was impressed with is the fact that they they shot this thing on location. There were no sets used. I don't believe, and if they were, they were minimal. They they just had their art department go to these walls and just paint huge, bright fuchsia splashes across the wall, like up two stories of it. The apartment that his aunt lives in, that he lives in, that Guy lives in with his aunt, that with the big the blues, uh, just just gorgeous. The use of color is just absolutely amazing in this, and it's. I think they they finally re I don't I don't even know the terminology here Maggie but they remastered the colors or something they right. they made the movie watchable again after years right. the the movie just kind of got washed out and it had a really dull look to it and they finally uh went back and 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 fixed that up sometime in the last 20 years I think Yeah um definitely and then the 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 thing that I love about it is just so when you when you come into even the premise, basically, right, like the idea of a place that's so rainy that it can support an entire store dedicated to an umbrella shop, right, um, yeah. <laughs> is <laughs> it's supposed to be this whole gray dripping with just like this f- like French malaise, right? But then as soon as the movie opens, you get these like bright pops of color because the umbrellas are bright, right? Like people have decided to purchase not a black umbrella. They purchased an orange umbrella or a, a, you know, neon pink umbrella. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, they're like acid trip colors. They're like bright colors, right? It's that like juxtaposition of like, the really bright colors that are part of the wallpaper and the just kind of everything that they wear, whether it's the actual clothes to the um, like the, even the little stuff that Genevieve wears in her hair, whether it's a ribbon or a sash or anything, like everything is so bright and filled with like life. Right. And so you're exposed to this sort of composition all the time where it's like the gray of the water and the rain and the the sadness of life, whether the sadness of life is actual sadness like war and, um, you know, star-crossed lovers or um, actual literal rain and then the brightness that it's against. And so then you have to kind of decide like, what are they doing with this? And the really cool thing about watching that documentary that's part of the um, the DVD that this was on is Demi talks about, the director talks about how he really wanted to do something amazing. Like he wanted to do something different and amazing. And he was like, oh, I want to make people cry. And it's like, well, that's, I mean, that sounds like a really shitty thing to say, but at the same time, like, you know, 
like trying to get a response from people like that's that's a cool thing to want to do like trying to get a visceral reaction like that's worthwhile like that's what you want from any kind of film like you want a visceral reaction whether like i was talking about horror earlier like if you if you're watching a scary movie you want to be scared you want like you know you're going to tense up you want to have that visceral reaction if you're watching a comedy you want people to laugh right um, and so if you're watching this kind of movie, you want people to cry. So I think it makes sense. And that's his goal in this and making it in this way is so moving and so amazing. And he does a really good job. So I think, and that's what did it for me. That's what made me appreciate this movie because when I watched it, I, I almost don't feel like I watched a movie. I mean, yes, clearly I knew in my brain that I was watching a movie that I was on my couch in an otherwise dark room, looking at a screen for an hour and a half. I got that. Right. But I mean, this is unlike anything. It's not. So I almost feel like uh, we should be singing this entire conversation that we're having. I feel like we're cheating in a way. We're not doing the film justice. I know. But, uh, <laughs> the thing that, that, that got me with this movie, the thing that made me really appreciate it as it is a movie and I'm aware that it's a movie as I watch it. But like in the in the supplementals, when Demi was talking about how when he was trying to get it financed, people wanted it to be black and white, or they or wanted him to else. change the name, right? Yeah. Or the, and of course they wanted it. them to get rid don't of sing. the yeah they wanted yeah. them to get rid of the, the whole singing thing. Which if you did all that, like die on a fire, no. <laughs> right. Yeah. But if you if this movie were black and white, and if it did have a title that actually kind of hinted at what you were getting into. And if all the dialogue was spoken and not sung, it would be a fine story. It would be fine. It wouldn't be this. It would not be this. And you and I probably wouldn't be sitting here right now talking about it. Yeah. 50 some odd years later. Yeah. It's that that's what truly elevated this whole thing. It's a very it's a serviceable. It's a fine screenplay. Right. But once you add all the bells and whistles to it, it it turned it into something special. Spectacular. Yeah. You know, rain is difficult to shoot and they do a really good job with that. And singing everything is difficult to manage too. And they did a really good job with that too. Like they, they just make everything worthwhile. Like every single part of it seems necessary. Like all of it I appreciate. And the really cool thing about the, like coming back to the whole thing about like how you see the gray and the bad, and then you get, like kind of bombarded by the like pops of color and everything. It's like, I don't know. It's like, um, it's like ABBA. If you work out to ABBA, like it's upbeat, it's great. <laughs> it's upbeat, but it's still like really sad. Like, so you can like, you can get on the elliptical and like rock out to ABBA, but it's still super sad. And it's like, oh, okay, this time here that I'm spending is worthwhile <laughs> because I'm also working out and like it's sad and it's like they're doing the same thing in that they're showing you something that's like really fun to look at like it's very enjoyable to watch submersing yourself in the film is really enjoyable but at the same time it is sad and it is heavy and like it has all those things so it's it's kind of like balancing itself out it's really cool. The use of lighting in this movie is professional which was weird for the whole um new wave of French cinema, at least for Demi. I think this was his third film. Third film. Yeah. yeah. And and you watch the supplementals. I mean, what was the uh, Lola was just 
all right. natural lighting and it was black and white and just sometimes people are just 80% obscured yeah. and that's just <laughs> yeah and the, the blocking just doesn't seem to even exist at all whereas yeah. this all felt very tight very precise uh the lighting was just you know you want to light up those big bold colors so that the lighting was just there well everything had to be really precise right because all of the music was recorded before right Right. So um, I did not know that watching the movie until I watched <laughs> the supplemental very stuff. Very convincing, right? I wasn't sure. I, I, in fact, the whole time I was watching, I was like, "Did they write the music first, and then they just had it?" I always this feel work? like that with animation. It's like, oh, do they think about what the animated character looks like mm-hmm. and the faces they would make? You know, um, and yeah, and that's interesting. But yeah, for this one, they did have the whole like the whole soundtrack was. Um, recorded mm-hmm. and the actors were not singing <laughs> right and they had to to match to um that track so, yeah this yeah. was a very collaborative effort because usually you want to heap accolades on actors and, oh, and directors sure, of and of course they deserve that but just as much as that the uh voice cast the people doing the actual singing uh, deserve a, a shout out i would oh my gosh i would read their names they're right in front of me but uh right. whew, <laughs> uh, I am definitely a Mississippi boy. And when I'm in my cups, it it, it really shows. <laughs> and, and folks, I'm having a drink. So yeah, me too. <laughs> Woo. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> mm. Mm. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> We're having gimlets today, folks. You're, you're having a gimlet, right? Yes, indeed. Yeah. Delicious. Yeah. <laughs> Just stepping away from the movie for a moment, at least in the, narrow sense. When did you first see this movie? Tell me, tell me about that. So I was in film school at NYU and I was in a class that was focusing on French New Wave. And so we were watching a lot of like Godard and just that whole group that is not really similar to, is this too loud? No, not at all. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, but anyway, we were, we were watching a lot of stuff that, I mean, technically, if you look at umbrellas, if you look at Demi generally and compare it, compare his work to, um, other works from French new wave, it's very different. So, you know, it was just included in this class and I was just like taken aback. I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm just overwhelmed by like how cool this is. (laughs) And, and then like the next semester, so like two months, two maybe two months later, I was in um, a class that was focused on the musical. Like that was the name of the class, the musical. And I mean, we probably watched 20 films and this was also in that too. And I was just like, ah, this is my movie. This is mine. This is my movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like when when people ask you what your favorite movie is and you're a movie person, it's really, really hard because I have like a thousand movies that I love. You know, I'm sure you have a thousand movies you love, right? Yeah. But this is the one that I'm always like, oh, if someone hasn't seen it, it it makes me hurt inside that they haven't seen it. Like I wanna I wanna share it with people, right? And it's with anyone. Like if I was trying to like I was mentioning earlier, like I love horror movies too. Like if I were going to recommend a horror movie to someone, I couldn't necessarily recommend The Descent or Martyrs to everyone, right? Um, And even, you know, 
my other favorite movie, Requiem, like I couldn't necessarily recommend that to everyone either. So no, uh, towards the end, especially. <laughs> yeah. I watched that movie around 20 years ago. And when you sent me these two movies, these two names, I just immediately was like, I don't know what this umbrella movie is about, but that's what we're doing. The episode. Remember that one. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you know, like, I know I can tell people about this and I know that, you know, even if they don't love it, they can enjoy it. Like you can enjoy watching it, even if you don't love it. Like it's I, almost hard to have a bad time watching it. I mean, again, I'm, I'm a pretty, you know, uh, it's just not my wheelhouse musicals, but I, I get it. all the way through, all the way through the moment they sang the very first opening lines, like, you know, turn the, turn the engine over and just two yeah. guys at a, at a mechanic shop a conversation. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's very. It's like, oh shit, we're just starting out in song and we're just going to ride this thing know. through. And it's just one long, continuous, fluid experience. It's uh, yep. it's, it's great. It's unlike anything I've ever seen. Is, is Les Mis like that? No, I think that there are still spoken parts of okay. everything. Like, okay. I, I'm so this not is familiar. it. Yeah. I mean, like, other people have tried to do it and it hasn't really gone over. Right. And, you know, it doesn't go over for everybody. Like, I, I remember showing this to my cousin, like, like I was saying, like when I was in film school, I was watching this like a couple of times over the course of several months. And my cousin came to visit from Texas and she's in New York and like we're doing all these fun things. And I was like, OK, well, we need to have like a calm night in for one of these nights. And I was like, you need to watch this movie. I love it. And I showed it to her and she was like, and as soon as the scene comes up where they're, um, it's okay. So Jean-Vierre has found out that Guy is going to war and um, he's, he's, he's going to go to Algeria and they have this night where they're both just so upset and the whole experience is terrible, but at the same time, they're so in love and like they're in the street and I'm sure you know what I'm gonna say. Like they're they're in this street, and what is actually happening is they are floating. <laughs> so they're being pulled along. J'avais tellement peur de ne pas te trouver. Je suis si heureuse d'être avec toi. Maintenant je ris parce que je me rends compte combien je suis bête quand je suis like on a dollar right right <laughs> and um and my cousin is like laughing hysterically she's like this mm. is ridiculous what am i watching and this is the beginning of the movie really oh, no you know and i was like i hate you we're not friends anymore <laughs> yeah that's the, the end of act one yeah, yeah. oh no yeah. it's always such a bummer when you try to turn someone on to a movie and they just I had a 19-year-old girl the other day tell me that Boogie Nights was a bad movie because it was awkward. <gasps> it is awkward, but why is that bad? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Awkward is the best. It it's can like be. Saying, any yeah. visceral reaction is good. If it sure. makes you feel awkward, that's a visceral reaction. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> I, I feel like... I, I turned her around in the end. I forced her to keep watching it and, you know, plied her with more drinks and it was fine. But at the same time, it's like, you know, she didn't feel like assaulted like she would have if I'd made her watch Martyrs. I guess, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you want to talk like through the actual parts of the film. Yeah, well. we can do that. Like, the different acts being broken up into parts. 
the departure, the absence and the return? Oh, sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, you have a lot of overhead shots in, well, I guess maybe throughout the whole film, but like, I feel like they're more prominent in the beginning. Yeah, um, certainly the opening credits are almost exclusively that that overhead. Yeah, but, I was um, very impressed with the cinematography. Lots of long warners. The one yeah. with the train as he's leaving for the Algerian War was fantastic. They had to cue oh my God. with the train <laughs> actually leaving the station. Just make me cry every time. I'm just like, oh. Anyway, um, but yeah, like all the like overhead shots like feel to me like this, I don't know, like this Busby Berkeley feeling without it being intensely comical in that way, in that like sort of musical way. Like it's it still has all of those feelings of the Busby Berkeley like overhead shot musical, like it feels like synchronized swimming looks, you know, sure. um, but it's sad. <laughs> Like he's figured out a way to make like musical sad, which is like stunning and um, like kind of appalling, honestly, because like musicals like fun. Right. But not a bummer to watch. Not a bummer to watch either. Yeah. Just a a gorgeous movie to look at. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't think we've made this clear to the audience. There's no dancing in this movie. It's it's just singing dialogue in a dramatic story. There's like a spin around at that one in that one scene at the very beginning before everything turns to crap. And, you know, Guy and Genevieve or are in the the little bar and they have their drinks, their tiny little French drinks. Mm -hmm. And they've, um, and he takes her for like one little spin and that is it. And it is definitely not choreographed. It is just like, they just do a little turn. That is the, the whole thing. That's it. You're tr- you're you're right. It's great. It's not a dancing musical. Yeah. I haven't even thought about that. That's amazing, Jason. I haven't even thought about that. The like, camera does the dancing in this movie. The camera is constantly in motion. It's it's very much like a PTA movie that way. Yeah, exactly. That's that's amazing. I haven't even thought about that, but that's crazy. Yeah. And it's a bummer of a story. We have to talk about the final scene in this movie. It's one of the most it's realistic in a way that I wasn't expecting. That this movie took a very realistic turn because, you know, when people fall in love at that early age, uh, things just are not going to work out. And this movie does not shy away from that at all. It just kind of shows it. And when they have their meeting, they see each other after what, 4 or 5 years, the awkwardness yeah. of the two of them when they lock eyes. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I mean I feel like the whole thing is showing this. I mean, it's not Romeo and Juliet sort of star-crossed lovers. It's a different kind of star-crossed lovers. You get this whole thing where, like, are you familiar with W.H. Auden, the Musée de Beaux-Arts? I'm not. Poem? It's like um, about suffering. They were never wrong. The old masters, how well they understood its human position how it takes its place while someone else is eating or opening a window or just walking dully along. The things that happen in life, when they happen to you, they seem really important. But when they happen to you, everybody else is still just having their life. You know, they're still just doing their thing around you. And they don't The world doesn't care. Yeah, exactly. There are so many times in this movie where you see examples of that, where 
I don't know if you noticed that, like, I, I always think of it as the Mardi Gras scene, but it's, it's, I guess in France, it's carnival. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you remember this, but like when they're at jean and her mom are in the shop and the carnival is happening outside and it's so bright and festive and just like everything in the movie, everything is like so colorful and vibrant and inside the shop, she's, you know, found out she's pregnant <laughs> and having a hard time and gee is gone like her gee is gone you know nobody outside cares like nobody outside knows what's going on with her and it's this whole thing and that's the whole movie the whole movie is like that it's not rare it's something that happens to everybody right like there are these things in life that happen that affect you and don't affect the whole world but at the same time, it seems like a huge drama to you. It seems like a huge drama to your family and what's happening with you. And like this whole movie shows that very well in several places. And I think that definitely happens with the carnival scene there. And then also, like you were saying at the end, at the gas station, at the end, it's like, you know, everything else is going on around them. Like we've got, you know, Guy's wife that he's decided to just do that with her maybe like, settle with <laughs> yeah i mean she's great whatever <laughs> you know like and he has a child and he loves his child and everything's great and that's happening but like that's all going on and no one else notices like the guy who's actually working for Gee at the gas station doesn't know who she is he doesn't know jean he doesn't know that that child in the car is Guy's child, right? Um, he's just pumping gas, right? Right. Which she doesn't pay for, by the way. <laughs> just like one of my favorite things. I'll be damned. <laughs> she's like, see ya. Well, she's raising his <laughs> no kid. No child support. <laughs> yeah, she's I'm raising out. his kid. He didn't even want to go meet the kid. I know, that's so intense. He's like, mm. she's like, you want to go meet her? And he's like, uh-uh. He just nods. He just nope. nods his head. Mm-mm. No. Or, no. or shakes his head, rather. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, I mean, just everything's happening around them. And it's this whole huge, intense scene. And it seems like it's just like, what's, it's like nuclear fission versus fusion. It's like the, instead of exploding out, it explodes in. Like everything like explodes in on them at that moment at the end. Like, right. It's like, they just all kind of like, and just like it all kind of comes together and just ends and it's just like so intense but at the same time like what else would have happened and it is something that does happen like it's not it's not this thing that's that's crazy in life it's a thing that happens in life and i'm sure it happens to a lot of people it's very common yeah Yeah. it's very common and i'm sure that a lot of that it's happened to everyone in the audience and if it hasn't happened to you it's headed your way (laughs) <laughs> and yeah, but to, I mean, to, when the two of them lock eyes, it, there's so much, there's so much history. There's so much regret. Who knows if one of them had seen the other first, would they have even interacted? But once they lock eyes and they're right there, the social contract kicks in and you, you kind of have to. It. Yeah. And it was an extremely awkward conversation. You've had this whole experience where the entire movie you've got rain. And then instead of like at the beginning, you have rain. And then after that, you have a lot of just like clear skies throughout the movie. And then at the end, you have snow. 
And so it feels like sort of a bookending of precipitation. It sounds stupid, but yeah. But, it's but like, no, you're right. Basically, like it's like a like a spring, like youthful precipitation, and it kind of rises and it goes to like a, a clearing. And then there's action. And then at the end, it's it's like a death. It's like, like the snow at the end. It's like a death of their relationship. And at that point, you just feel like you've gone from seeing all this color like we've talked about this whole time. Like it's like so much color and life and vibrancy to this just like clear white. And it's like, even the clear white of it is not, it's not just about like not seeing um, like wallpaper or whatever. Like a lot of the, a lot of the the colors that you see throughout the film are like the sets of the staging of everything and, and people's clothing and stuff. But at the end, just the precipitation, just the snow is doing the work of the color and it's being lack of color. And it's so cool. Like, I mean, it just like really like brings everything to an end and like kind of shows you like, Oh, yep. That's where we are now. Like, <laughs> and yeah. then, you know, Demi gets what he wants. Like that's when you cry. Like he, he wanted to make everybody cry. So there's something about snow in a movie that just it's peaceful. There's a sense of uh forlornness, if that's right. the word. Yeah. It's, it's sad. It's tranquil at the same time. The Japanese have a word for this. I can't think of it at the top of, off the top of my head, but I'm sure uh, they do. That's at, at the end of, uh, <laughs> at the end of, uh, Ikiru that, that the yeah. ending of Ikiru comes to mind that the death scene in the park, it's just, it's sad, but it's peaceful. It's pretty. It's like a, it's like a nice sad. <laughs> it is. It's almost like a contented sad. You know, it's like a Fiona Apple song, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's, it's a good, good sad. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it helped that we didn't see that kind of weather at all throughout the entire movie. The movie takes place over a period of five, six years, something like that. And we never we never see any snow until that final scene. Yeah, exactly. I do have to tell you there were a couple of things like I love getting to the end of it and everything but I do have to tell you there were a couple things I wanted to mention about things that I've always noticed throughout the film that I think are really cool and like maybe not everybody meant like notices or whatever um, and so just have to point them out like so Cassard well Jean Vieux's husband um, the diamond dealer, yeah. Diamond merchant. Diamond yeah. merchant <laughs> dealer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he seems like a super cool guy. Like, he seems nice. Like, you know, mm -hmm. not to shit on him. But at the same time, when they're walking along, do you remember the scene where they're walking along, like, the river or, like, the, the water, and he's trying to get her to marry him? 
And he's talking about how he doesn't care. He'll raise the kid. It's cool. It's awesome. Whatever. Mm -hmm. Remember that scene? I do. And so he says, I love you. And if you don't speak French, you might not notice that he says, je vous aime. So that's not how you say, I love you to someone. (laughs) Like you say, je t'aime, because that's familiar. Mm -hmm. Like, je vous aime is like how Beyonce would say, I love you to her audience. Like, I love all of you. Sure. (laughs) Or it's like, if you don't know someone at all, you would right. say, I love you, but it's not that really familiarity, work, right? Right. It really work. If you, um, if you don't know someone and then you're trying to use the not familiar style of the word, right? Like he's saying, I love you, but he's not comfortable enough with her to say it in the way that Guy does two scenes before or whatever. Right. 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 So it's, it's this whole thing where it's like, you, you see all these little things throughout that kind of pop up in just the, in just the French language that are really interesting that I think are cool. And then also the other thing about French, it's like, it doesn't have the same sort of emphasis that we have. So like when we speak in English, like we have very strong emphasis on different syllables and French is already very smooth. And so the way that you pronounce things is very even. And so when you put them in a musical form, it's even more even. <laughs> like, And so it just like, it feels like it flows into it more easily. So I feel like, I don't know if this would work if it weren't in French. Hmm. You know? That's a good point. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't know if you could do it in English. <laughs> It's a weird way to make a movie, and it, it might just be lightning in a bottle. That might be why all of the attempts at making a movie of musical where it's one long, worked. continuously song yeah. thing just haven't worked quite as well as this one has. Maybe maybe the yeah. French language itself is partially uh, to credit for that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the way of – the I guess – what's his name? Le, what's Le the Grand. Le Grand. Le Grand. Le Grand. He ref, was it him that referred to the movie as a uh, – a, a jazz opera is that what he called it jazz opera and yeah like um what else did he say about it um he was like it's it's like i wrote it down oh it's like touching reality without really entering it ah okay <laughs> sure like, all right frenchman yeah yeah <laughs> he's I, I, <laughs> I really dug all of his um like little things that he said during the interview on the Criterion version where <laughs> where the, where the guys like trying to convince him that he should just be Mozart instead of um, doing any sort of other work in music <laughs> because he is so smart and all of his responses were so great. And, you know, like he would say things like, you know, form upsets convention sometimes. And, it, you know, like he will say things like that and then like, you know, we wanted to create an ethereal electric dream. And it's like, okay, yeah, I love it. That whole interview, you're right. That guy kept asking the the most dickish questions where he was, he was sort of, dick, he was calling, right? he was calling the guy's integrity into question for working on a lowly art form like, like film when he could be making. He was like, why would you do this instead of being Beethoven? Right. He's like, do you think you could be Beethoven? Like if, if you, if you quit doing and this shit. Immediately he said, no, no. No, it's like, I'm doing this F off. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So we apparently recommend the um, criterion extras. 
<laughs> we do. And as a matter of fact, it, did you watch this on, on DVD? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did too. Okay. I, I'm sure this, this looks wonderful on Blu-ray. It is available on Blu-ray now, as a matter of fact. And just the other day, right the day after you and I decided to, to do a podcast on this movie, someone I know at work, they were like, oh, I took off on Tuesday because of the Criterion flash sale. Mm. And I got a box set uh, so that I could watch. Here I go. Les Parapluies de Chaubert. Uh, yeah, pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there's a Demi box set that I think was okay. recently released on, on Criterion that on, on Blue. Young Girls is really good too. Like you should definitely watch that. Like it, it's fun. Mm-hmm. Like there is a ton of dancing in that one. Gotta say, like, as we've talked about how this one's not about dancing. Um, you know, Demi talks about how in uh, moving into to that movie, he was like, now I want to make people like laugh and Right. I want people to walk out of the theater singing and dancing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. He he was like, I made people cry. Now let's do the other thing. Sure. Um, Yeah. I I, I love it. Um, I love, I love Demi's, his, uh, the guy just had a lot of chutzpah. He, he flat out, he flat out wanted to make, he said, when I, when I'm old and I'm dying and I look back on my career, my body of work, I want to see 50 films each with overlapping characters. This guy had his own little shared universe going on. Yeah. The diamond merchant. Right. Was in Lola. He was in Lola, the movie before this, a movie or two before this. So there's, there's overlapping characters. And I think this is the middle part of his romantic trilogy. Roland was previously unsuccessfully wooed the title character in Lola, which was 1961. This movie is 1964. And then what was the third one? Young girls of. Rochefort. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. I've never been more uh, conscious, self-conscious of, of my Mississippi accent. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I feel like we're about done here, Maggie. Are you feeling, are you feeling that way too? Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. What have we not talked about with this movie? Let me, let me pull up a page here. I do have a bunch of stuff. I don't know if you really want to actually get into it. But, what do you uh, have? Okay, so another huge thing that seems like maybe something you wouldn't notice on first watching, or maybe you would, I don't know, how the scenery interacts with the people. So there are a lot of, um, and this was something that was brought up on the um, on that Criterion um, documentary, but it's it's like when you see the people, like what they're wearing and how they look and how they feel, sometimes that interacts with the backgrounds. And I feel like that's really interesting, especially with Genevieve, because with Genevieve, you'll see that she is usually wearing clothes that are like denim or white or like she's wearing different colors and they don't match everything. Whereas her mom like always matches the shot. Like her mom is like red and she's looking, she's against a a red background or orange against an orange background. And so the people kind of match where they are. The point where that changes is when Genevieve kind of accepts that she's gonna have to marry Cassard. Like she's like, okay, I guess I've given up on Guy. Mom's like, you gotta get over that Guy. And, you know, I've, I've got to do it. 
And you go from one scene where she is separate from her surroundings to the next scene where she is literally matching the wallpaper. Like she is wearing a maternity dress that is like satin with a print that is the exact same print as the wallpaper. So she's literally blending in to the wallpaper, right? right. Um, and I don't know, like, I feel like you have to watch it a couple times before you notice that kind of thing. But like, she definitely is the one person in the movie where she stands out against everything. And then all of a sudden she's like, she's subsumed into everything. I don't think I did notice that. Okay. Well, go back and look yeah. on your next viewing, Jason. Yeah. But um, anyway, like. I will. I'm going to watch it okay. again. <laughs> but like all, all the bright and peppy stuff, like just seems more, um, it's like sadder in contrast, right? So like when you see her in the blended in bright wallpaper dress, <laughs> Like, it just seems so much sadder because it's bright. Like, it just, it like, the way that Demi uses all of the color is not just to make it colorful. You know, he shows, like we were talking about, like, he shows in his next one, like, he shows in um, Young Girls. He can do bright and peppy that means to be bright and peppy. But what he's doing here with, with bright and peppy is showing you how sad shit is. <laughs> <laughs> like he's he's yeah. he's making it worse by making it colorful like by, showing by, by giving us that juxtaposition exactly that, that yeah. visual yeah exactly juxtaposition yeah. yeah so good stuff maggie how do you feel about it i feel like i love it i feel like it's the best movie ever and everybody should watch it <laughs> i give it my recommendation to oh good yay yeah <laughs> i just feel like even now like even 2021 it's the only thing that's like it like it's it's its own thing and it's the only thing that I like in the same way. Like I like I like a lot of other movies in different ways, but this is the only one that I like like this. And I think that everybody else should like it like this too. <laughs> yeah, it stands alone. It is a creature unlike any other. Yeah. Maggie, thanks so much. I appreciate it. It was great talking to you. Thank you, Jason. Great to talk to you too. Of course. All right. Take care. Au revoir. Au revoir. <laughs> C'est très beau, tu trouves Tu as les mains froides Je vais sortir maintenant And that's it for this episode. Give us a follow, won't you, over at Instagram. You can find us there at filmography underscore club underscore podcast. I'd also like to encourage you to give us a rating, maybe even a nice review wherever you get your podcast from. It's available everywhere. Every little bit helps. I want to thank my guest, Maggie Lyon. I'd also like to thank Will Fox, Ross Warner, and Michael Leeds. Filmography Club is produced right here in gorgeous Nashville, Tennessee by the always hardworking folks at We Own This Town. I'm Jason Cabanis. This is Filmography Club. Thank you for listening. <laughs>